Today's episode of the Kotki Ride Home is sponsored by Podcorn, a marketplace connecting podcasters to amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities, such as host-read ads, interview segments, topical discussions, and more. I know many of you listening have your own podcasts, so you've got to try Podcorn. They make it easy and accessible to monetize your show. You can use the platform to find brands that fit with your podcast, set your own rates, and schedule sponsorships for weeks and months at a time using the platform's scheduling tools to make sure you never book yourself when you're already committed. Podcorn takes the middleman out of brand deals. You can collaborate with sponsors directly, and Podcorn will ensure that you stay protected and get paid, especially if you're working alone with a smaller team or are new to the world of sponsorships. Podcorn can really help take away a lot of the stress and uncertainties of brand deals without sacrificing creative control. So link in the show notes to sign up for Podcorn and start browsing all kinds of sponsorship opportunities for your podcast. Thanks again to Podcorn for sponsoring today's episode. And again, you can explore those sponsorship opportunities and start monetizing your podcast by signing up at podcorn.com slash podcasters. Welcome to the Kotki Ride Home for Wednesday, September 9th, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. The perfectly sealed 2,500-year-old coffins recently discovered in Egypt, how lockdown is making us all socially awkward, the gold ticket competition to win a candy factory and the Willy Wonka-like figure behind it, and a new strategy New Zealand is trying to help out the deaf and hard of hearing. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Authorities in Egypt have discovered 13 completely sealed, never-before-opened 2,500-year-old coffins in the necropolis of Saqqara in Egypt. The coffins are so well-preserved, many retain the original colors painted on the wood. They were found in a burial shaft 11 meters below the ground, and Minister Khaled El-Anani of Egypt's Tourism and Antiquities Board says it's likely there's even more in further reaches of the shaft. Saqqara is believed to have served as the burial ground for Egypt's capital, and has been the spot of many archaeological finds, most of which have been of the nobility who had more elaborate and therefore easier to spot burials, but those were also the target of more looting over the centuries. These newly discovered coffins more likely belonged to the middle class, and as such may not have been as desirable to looters, which is one possible explanation for why the coffins have never been touched. A very rare find. That is all the Ministry of Tourism and Antiquities has said for now, but they did put out an Indiana Jones-style trailer on Twitter to hype people up, and left it with the implication that there is plenty more to come, so keep an eye out for updates. And maybe any signs of curses as they break these coffins open. It is 2020, after all. So yesterday I talked about how lockdown has made many of us clumsier, and today I want to talk about how it's also made us more awkward. Socially awkward. I first noticed this in myself when a couple of friends stopped by for a socially distanced birthday visit on my porch. The interaction itself wasn't that awkward, but we all texted each other afterwards agreeing that we had all felt weird and unsure of ourselves. Well, a quick link on cocky.org today shed some light on why some of us might be feeling like we've lost a bit of our ability to socialize without thinking about it. 
The New York Times notes that many studies have been done over the years on prisoners, astronauts, hermits, and soldiers on the effects of living in isolation. And typically, people report feeling more socially anxious, intolerant, impulsive, and downright awkward when put back into social situations in person. And experts say we're all experiencing a bit of this to some extent right now. Here are some of the examples the Times gave that might resonate. Quote, People oversharing on Zoom, overreacting to or misconstruing one another's behavior, longing for but then not really enjoying contact with others, end quote. If you've noticed any of that in yourself, it may feel troubling, but Stephanie Cassiopo, the director of the Brain Dynamics Laboratory at the University of Chicago, says it's not a pathology or mental disorder, it's just normal biology. We evolved to crave company because there was safety in numbers. You know, back in the day of hunting and gathering, fending off attacks, quoting again, So when we're cut off from others, our brains interpret it as a mortal threat. Feeling lonely or isolated is as much a biological signal as hunger or thirst. And just like not eating when you're starved or not drinking when you're dehydrated, failing to interact with others when you're lonely leads to negative cognitive, emotional, and physiological effects, which Dr. Cassiopo said many of us are likely experiencing now. And continuing further, quote, The privation sends our brains into survival mode, which dampens our ability to recognize and appropriately respond to the subtleties and complexities inherent in social situations. Instead, we become hypervigilant and oversensitive. Layer on top of that a seemingly capricious virus, and we're all tightly coiled for fight or flight. You get a sidelong glance and immediately think the other person dislikes you. A confusing comment is interpreted as an insult. At the same time, you feel more self-conscious, fearing any missteps will put you further at risk. As a result, social situations, even a friendly phone call, become something to avoid. People start to withdraw, rationalizing they're too tired, didn't like the person much to begin with, or there's something they'd rather watch on Netflix, end quote. And the piece notes that even if you're quarantined with other people or in some type of pod, I mean, heck, even if you're going into work, you're still not getting the full range of social experiences you used to. Casual, spontaneous encounters at the gym, coffee shops, multiple different places on different days, not just the same grocery store once a week. It's kind of like not having a balanced diet. And so what's the best way to combat it? To make sure this doesn't become a permanent problem when we return to our more full social lives? Like many things, the key is recognizing that it's a problem. And from there, making a concerted effort to maintain communication and relationships, even if it's just through phone calls or sending emails. It doesn't replace in-person connection, but it's far better than withdrawing into yourself completely. And it's important to recognize that when this is over, whatever over is going to mean, things won't be the same. People won't be the same. Physician Beth Healy, who spent a year in Antarctica, says her colleagues who had the most trouble readjusting to society were the ones who had expected everything, relationships, places, jobs, to be just the same as they had left them. If you start acknowledging now that things are going to be different, and that's okay, and that you can change too, the better off you'll be in the long run. Earlier this summer, I talked about some of the ongoing treasure hunts in the world, and we have a new one. David Klein, the creator of Jelly Belly, in an attempt to become a real-world Willy Wonka, has just launched The Gold Ticket, a treasure hunt in which the winner will get one of Klein's actual candy factories. 
Now, a few clarifications here. The first, this has nothing to do with Jelly Belly. David Klein, while he created Jelly Belly, sold the trademark to the Herman Golitz Candy Company in 1980, and they are now known as Jelly Belly. Second, you have to live in the U.S., and third, it's pay-to-play, at least at first. In the announcement video, Klein says earnestly, We're looking for you, Charlie, out there. But as AV Club points out, you have to pay $49.98 to buy one of the tickets to participate in what seems like a, quote, presumed effort to thwart any low-class bucket families from rising above their station, end quote. So yeah, you have to pay about 50 bucks to be given access to a private forum on Facebook where the riddle will be released. You buy your gold ticket based on your state, and it's limited to only 1000 per state. The riddles are released at different times for different states. Some of them have the time and date listed already on the site. Others say they are coming soon. And when the riddle is released, you use it to look all over your state for a gold dog tag necklace with a code on it. And since the entire state is fair play, I think places like Delaware and Rhode Island might have it easier than, say, California. But once you have the gold necklace, you use the code on it to verify your fine, and you win $5,000. You are also then entered into the ultimate treasure hunt where you'll be competing for one of Klein's candy factories in Florida. I wouldn't expect some Willy Wonka-level magic to the place, though, quoting Fast Company. Klein declined to comment on the actual value of the factory he's giving away, citing fluctuations in the real estate market. He says the property is 4,000 square feet and located in Florida, where he lives, and the winner of the contest will become the new owner. The winner will also receive an all-expenses-paid trip and education to a candy-making university, which Klein said was located at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, end quote. And it seems Klein and his team were a little unprepared for how popular such a competition might be, and how ruthless and ready to game the system people are these days, so there might be a few more barriers as time goes on, and they adjust to handle any potential bad actors, but that's about the gist of it for now. I want to talk a little bit more about David Klein, though, because there were a few things about him that just made me want to keep digging. I mean, first was just the question of what someone does after they create the Jelly Belly and are no longer associated with the company, and also what happened there. I wasn't super curious about why he's giving away the factory. I mean, he's 73, so he probably is just ready to retire or downsize and thought this would be more fun than straight up selling it. Plus, with it being pay-to-play, maybe he's actually making more money from the tickets? I don't know. But it turns out, David Klein is quite the interesting character. So first of all, he did innovate on the jelly bean quite a bit. Before Jelly Belly, jelly beans were bigger, and came in just a couple of flavors, and weren't super flavorful on the inside. They really weren't popular candies. So he had the idea to make them all of those things, much smaller, in really wild, bold flavors inside and out. But the thing was, he was just a businessman. At the time, he was a wholesale nut salesman. He knew nothing about making candy. So he called up the Herman Golitz Confectionery Company and asked if they could manufacture the beans for him. The company charged him for the work that they were doing to make the beans, but Jelly Belly became so successful, after an initial slow start, that Klein was making a large profit and actually asked the company to charge him more, that way they'd be happy to keep working with him. An important thing to know here is that Klein and the company never had a formal contract together. That wasn't his only business misstep. Klein was blackmailed at one point by a guy who got the California trademark of Jelly Belly while Klein was waiting for the federal trademark to go through. And the Golitz company eventually bought him out by essentially saying, 
hey, we didn't sign a contract with you. We're doing you a favor by buying your trademark because otherwise we're just going to make the product ourselves and you can sue us, but we'll beat you and you'll go broke. So, of course, he sold it, though he recognizes he could have made way more money over the years if he'd been able to negotiate a better deal or retain any sort of rights. He sold the trademark for $5 million, distributed in $20,000 chunks every month for 20 years. But he had to split that with his business partner and pay taxes on it, so he said it shook out to be about $5,000 a month. If he had stuck with his original arrangement with the company, he would probably have made hundreds of millions of dollars by now. And to add salt to the wound, Jelly Belly basically never acknowledges him by name in any history of the company. And his hurt over that lack of acknowledgement and how he was treated I think shows in a lot of what he does, marketing himself as the Candyman and appearing in all kinds of press stunts, just really wanting to be seen for what he created and for his passion for candy. Though to be fair, he used a few shrewd business tactics himself back in the day, fabricating how popular the candy was in order to get media attention at the start, and tricking the guy who blackmailed him by cleverly wording a contract they signed. Klein has since gone on to invent a bunch of other candies, including the anatomically correct gummy heart, sour candy blood, snot candy, and helping his daughter with her less gross invention, Sandy Candy. If you want to dive more into Klein's story, there's a documentary about him called Candyman, the David Klein story that's streaming on Amazon Prime and YouTube. It's not the best documentary I've ever seen, but it gives you the story and inexplicably features Weird Al Yankovic. It really kind of does just look like they ran into him on the street and started interviewing him about jelly beans. Also, it's produced and narrated by Klein's son, Bert, so there's definitely some bias there, even if they do interview a representative from Golitz, aka the current owners of Jelly Belly. But in any case, Klein is certainly an interesting dude who does seem to just want to infuse more joy into the world, and a Willy Wonka-esque treasure hunt is definitely a fun thing, especially right now, as a way for families to do something together, which is how Klein has been pitching it. But you know, as we learned from Willy Wonka and countless horror films, you may want to keep your guard up. So here's an interesting story out of New Zealand. A nonprofit called Hearing Nelson is partnering with a local supermarket to introduce sign language lines in the checkout. They note, as many people here have commented on as well, that both masks and the perspex dividers in front of cashiers make it extra challenging for deaf and hard-of-hearing individuals to communicate. Both materials muffle people's voices, and the masks make it impossible to lip-read. So, Hearing Nelson is doing a trial of the sign language checkout lines. Basically, the staff of the supermarket is being trained in basic sign language, focusing on a few specific phrases like, hello, have you got your club card, have you got a shopping bag, etc. And they're also putting up posters displaying sign language phrases in the aisle. And that is a key element, I think, because not all deaf and hard of hearing people actually know sign language, so it's not ever an across-the-board solution. Plus, there are a lot of hearing people who have had trouble hearing through the masks and the screens, and those folks are even more likely to not know sign language, so having a poster with instructions on basic signs is a great idea. I think it would be cool if we could normalize basic signs even beyond grocery stores for people to use in this time when we're all wearing masks and keeping our distance. I mean, honestly, overall, I think it would be cool if more people did know sign language altogether, even beyond this unique moment in time. And New Zealand seems to be of a similar mindset because they actually made sign language an official language of New Zealand back in 2006. 
So it's no surprise that they're the ones kicking off this idea that hopefully, if it works out, might become a trend. That is all for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I'm going to go see about making a deal with Mr. Slugworth. I hope you have a good rest of your day, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow. Oh, 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 O'Reilly! You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh.